Pleasure to be with you all. Pleasure to have Steve Herzig as a fellow speaker in this uh, great week. We go back a long way. Uh, my father uh, had lots of Jewish customers at the bank and was uh, const constantly witnessing to them. Very good friends. Uh, I came to know them very well. I even came to know their names by the stories he told around the dinner table. And early on, uh, I saw a great interest in uh, reaching out to the Jewish people as friends of Israel. And for a long time, he was identified with uh, uh, the ministry that Steve represents. One of the thrills of my life was that uh, the uh, board of Friends of Israel asked my son to join them, and he and Steve served together uh, in this great ministry. And it's a great ministry. Uh, that uh, covenant made with Abraham says this, and God will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. That's an important, everlasting principle. And there is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the twelve boys uh, early in the chapters of Genesis. And do you know at the very end, uh, that chart's a little small, but it will give you, uh, it's the same one you have in your lap. Uh, at the very end, when there is the new heavens and the new earth, it is interesting that in that eternal city, the heavenly Jerusalem, in which we will all dwell, that uh, on the gates are 12 names, and that the 12 names of Jacob's boys. And on the foundation are 12 other names, the names of the apostles. And there forever... We will be with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all the holy angels, and all of God's people in that one great plan that God has set forth. Do you look forward to that? That's going to be an exciting time, and uh, we will do well to listen carefully to Steve as, as he tells us about the ministry. I really was a little disappointed that we didn't have any Manischewitz wine today. But we did at least go halfway, and uh, a nice adjustment. I'm undertaking something that seems audacious, really. I uh, have handed out to you this, this chart that says, uh, The Work of the Holy Spirit from Eternity to Eternity in Six Sermons. Can you imagine that? You'd have to imagine that. And... Uh, what I would like to do is just uh, set some guidelines for you to better understand and appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, down through the history of God's dealing with mankind. I came to appreciate this in uh, my most recent change of courses at the school. 
Dr. McLeod used to teach Theology 3, of which uh, there are three subjects, Christology and Pneumatology and, and uh, Soteriology, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and Salvation. They're the big three, functionally. And uh, I have come over three or four years now to recognize a weakness in my own life in my understanding of the Holy Spirit and as well my appreciation of him and my awareness of his working in my life. I think this was by divine design in some ways because the Spirit, as theologians describe him, is the timid member of the Trinity. He does not call attention to himself very often. All that we know about him is in the word, but infrequently mentioned. That's his nature. He points to the Father and the Son. That's the task of the Holy Spirit. He is a behind-the-scene member of the Trinity. I think there is a second theological reason that we do not think of him often or address him often, and it is this. We pray, our Father who art in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray that way, and the prayers of the Bible are most frequently addressed to the Father. We likewise speak to the Son. The disciples did that regularly. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we address the Lord directly. Seldom do we address the Holy Spirit directly. Would that be true in your life? We confess that there is one only and true God. But in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the same in essence that is sharing equally all the attributes of Godhood, but distinct in subsistence being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the first, second, and third members of the Godhead. We most often think about the Father as we speak to God. One of the delights of my life is to sit around the dinner table with a small part of the family and hear my grandson Johnny say, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the food. And we pray for Daddy's safety and travel. And we pray for Angie, who is sick. Bless us the rest of the day. Amen. And we eat. He addresses the Heavenly Father. I remember teaching a Sunday school on one occasion. I asked one of the students, a boy of about eight or nine, to open in prayer. And he said, Father, thank you for the food. Amen. <laughs> well, that gets translated into the real prayer. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit and making intercession for us in prayer. We have access to the Father in the name of the Son through the Spirit. 
and seldom do we address the Spirit directly. Isn't that true? I think there's a third reason that we hesitate because of some of the excesses in uh, the workings of the Spirit in other well-meaning Christians and the extremities that uh, the working of the Spirit is uh, ascribed. And I think perhaps we've backed off a bit far in being theologically careful in that regard. I'd like you to turn as we start this series to a passage in John chapter 16. I identified with Dr. McLeod's statements this morning about the three score and ten. I likewise am on borrowed time. I think a little more borrowed time than David, actually. But no more borrowed than some of you here. It goes very quickly, doesn't it? In John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, tells us something. And it's a very important concept. He tells us uh, that it's better uh, for him to go. Verse 27 For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Earlier he has said in verse 25 of chapter 14, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you uh, your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. It is of benefit for the Lord Jesus Christ to go away and send the Holy Spirit. And he calls himself something. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I will send that other helper. Helper. Do you ever sense the need for the help of the Holy Spirit? We may not, but he helps anyway. And we will see that as we look at the work of God the Holy Spirit uh, down through his ministry. He's our helper. It's the Greek word for come alongside and help, advocate, paraclete, the helper. He is called alongside to help. For 40 years or so, I have taught uh, ecclesiology at a Mass, and we look at the gifts of the Spirit of God that he gives to each one of us. 
One of the things I do, this, this is an interesting experience. Uh, by the time I had taught the class, they were third or fourth year students, and they knew one another very well. And one of the quests of uh, life is to understand what our spiritual gift is. So what I would do is have each student come up and uh, stand before the class for one minute. And on a three-by-five card, uh, 30 other classmates would identify the gifts that they have seen active in that person's life. I also had them indicate how well they knew the person on a 1 to 10 scale. If they were engaged, I had them put a 10. If they didn't know the person at all, that was a 1. And in between, they'd have differing uh, insights as to a person's spiritual gifts. And then afterward, we'd analyze all of that. Would you like to do that once this week? We don't have time to, obviously. But it's a great experience. I also put forth the idea of having a person stand and have his primary fault identified. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun to do? And we all know them for one another. We all know them. That would be a fun thing to do. When a person didn't know a person very well, they would circle the gift of helps. That's a default gift. Helps. Helps. It can be anything. It has some connotation to uh, helping those who are in need and sickness or in poverty or in old age, any of those kind of things. But it's a very broad, general term. Anything that's a help, a person needs a help in it. And this is what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who gives the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, according to his will, one of which is the gift of helps, is called the divine helper. The word helper has somebody else in view. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He helps us. We're the one in view. If you are helping a person, the person you're helping is the one in view, not yourself. And that's the very nature of this ministry of the Holy Spirit that coincides with him being the unnoticed member of the Trinity. He helps us whether we know it or not. And we'll see how that works out in some detail. He helps us. I have discussed with some of the faculty at the college, what about addressing the Holy Spirit in prayer? And Dr. Smith has said to me a number of times, well, David, he's the one who inspired the text. It would be appropriate when you study the text to ask for the Holy Spirit's help in understanding it, wouldn't it? Do you think so? He's the author. Holy men of God spoke as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. Many occasions I've had teachers who used their textbook, and it was always a delight to be able to say, Dr. Rari, what did you mean by this? And when he told me what he meant, I believed it was right, because he wrote the book. Well, we can address the Holy Spirit, I think, in that regard. I asked Mark Stevenson about this, 
And he says, Holy Spirit's God after all. Can address God, can't we? Are we supposed to say, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I addressed the Holy Spirit. I have come to uh, pray this way on numerous occasions as I've come to appreciate the Holy Spirit's work. Divine Helper, I need your help. I pray that this hour. I need your help. Our brother said, fill the speaker. Guess who fills? The Holy Spirit. That's his job. Another shortcoming we have, I think, is this. We've sung of this today so often, of the Father's love and of our love for him, of the Son's love and our love for him. As I examine my own experience with the Lord, seldom have I ever said to the Holy Spirit, I love you, Holy Spirit. Have you? We just don't think that way, do we? It's part of who he is. He does not draw attention to himself. But he has done so much along with all the rest of the Godhead in focusing on us. From the very beginning, throughout the Bible, I mentioned to one of our sisters, the last statement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation is this, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit who formed the church and the Bride, the church, conclude the text of Revelation with this great statement, the Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus. We identify with that prayer. We're the bride. And he is praying the same way on our behalf. And I find that a strange concept even that uh, he would identify. He knows very well as the rest of the Godhead, the a schedule of God. The spirit and the bride say come. Unlike the son, he does not have any human limitations. It was never said of the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't know the hour. That was said of the Son. So the Holy Spirit, from Genesis to Revelation, is active on our behalf. And I'd like to, you to take the chart in mind. The chart I put up violates all communication levels. Uh, but here it is. We will look at the work of the Holy Spirit in eternity past. We'll do some of that today. We'll look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit in the church era. The work of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation, the millennium, and in eternity future. Now, as you look at this uh, chart that has the primary references to the workings of the Holy Spirit, there's immediately an observation that we make. 
When you look at this, what do you see of the concentration of the working of the Holy Spirit? Can you identify it? I have it in blue. A little hint. The era in which we find ourselves is begun on the day of Pentecost by the coming of the Holy Spirit in that particular way. It is ended, the church era, in 2 Thessalonians 2, when the Holy Spirit, he who hinders, and that which hinders the church, is taken out of the way from this earth in the rapture. Understand that the beginning and end of the church era has to do with the coming and then the going of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the church. Recognize that the Holy Spirit shares all of the attributes of Godhood equally. He is omnipresent. And when he leaves in the particular connection with the church at the rapture or when he comes at the beginning to start the church, he is here in a special way. When we think of omnipresence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we think of it in general terms and in some specific terms as well. What verse comes to your mind concerning the Lord's presence with us in the previous meeting that we had? Is there a verse that comes to your mind particularly concerning the Lord's special presence? What is it? Right, where two or three, more than that, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That is a special presence. There is a special presence that the Lord promises to the apostles and those who follow him. I am with you to the end of the age. There is a unique special presence of the Lord in connection to the Apostle Paul when he said, At my first defense of the gospel, no one stood with me, but the Lord was with me. A very special presence. And all of those are operative in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A general omnipresence and then specialized omni relationship of the omnipresence. And that is the case of the Holy Spirit with the church. He is here in a way that he was not in the Old Testament. And with the coming of uh, the, the end of that period, with the rapture, he and the church will be taken out in this special way. And the rest of God's great plan will be executed in the tribulation and the millennium and the eternal state. So this is the, as early brethren used to call it, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He is the active member of the Trinity in our lives. He is our great helper. And we will be looking at these different segments, particularly the middle one, because they touch us very directly. The Holy Spirit has done an enormous amount of work on our behalf, for which we should be thankful, acknowledge that, to this third member of the Godhead 
and call to him at appropriate times to do his particular task in our lives. First of all, the Holy Spirit in eternity past. This is before there was anything but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The first category I have there is called Trinity Communion. This goes beyond our comprehension. One of the, yeah, I have problems with simple little issues, not so much with some of the big ones, but how do the three members of the Godhead communicate with one another when each member is omniscient? Suppose the son would say to the father, you know what I've been thinking of? What would the father say? Yes, I do know. If he knows our thoughts before we think them, he certainly does of one another of the Trinity. And uh, the language really is an accommodation for us to understand the workings of God as best we can in our limited human language. When we think about God planning something, He doesn't plan the way we plan. We do studies on what we should do, evaluate all the options. We go A, B, C, D. Well, at least the men do. One of the blessings of being a woman is you can go from A to D without all the intervening steps. We call that woman's intuition. It's a very godlike concept. Here's a definition of that omniscience. God knows all things, past, present, future, real, and potential, at once, effortlessly, intuitively. What's a plan mean for members of the Godhead? That's for our understanding. And in these passages that I've I've cited, there is Trinity communion. You have a clear statement of it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, And the word was with God, face-to-face with God, concept of communion, and he was God. Francis Schaeffer, the granddaddy of all Christian worldview presentations, said if there is a God, there must be Trinity. There must be three. Because a fullness of relationship requires a third. And I think that's a very good argument. And there are three members of the Godhead in communion with one another. And we get hints of what they talked about, our language, what that communication was. In Titus chapter 1, there's a very interesting and strange verse. I'd invite your attention to look at that, the first chapter of Titus in which he says this, that in a past eternity, promises were made. Listen to this verse, a strange verse if we consider it. Paul, a bondservant of God, verse 1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time 
manifested his word through preaching. Promised before time began. Who was here before time began? No one. But promises were made. Promises made between Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. You may want to call that the eternal covenant. Promises made. What kind of promises? I would ask for some participation in this. What, what kind of promise would the Father have made to the Son and the Spirit, the Son to the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father and Son? What kind of promises? We get a hint at one. Let's make man. Okay. We'll make man in our own image. That man will sin. The father would say, I I choose to save. And the son would say, I promise to pay for the cost of redemption. And the Holy Spirit would say, I promise to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He would also say, as in Hebrews, I promise to assist in that, in that salvation, when Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offers himself up to God. Promises. I promise to prepare a place for the people that become believers. All of those dimensions that make up our great salvation. We get a great additional insight into that out of the great book of Ecclesiastes, which I have come to love as a source of encouragement. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon, the wisest of all men, having gone through numerous human experience, now makes conclusions as the seer of Israel, having received the gift of wisdom. And he puts it down in an orderly way. And in chapter 3, he says this, to everything there is a time and purpose under the sun. Everything. And then there are 14 statements that tick out with this conclusion. He has put eternity into our hearts. It is saying one thing. All of this is saying one thing. He's put that in our hearts to understand that. To understand what's going on in this world. He's put eternity into our hearts. How is this beautiful? He says he has made all things beautiful in its time. This is part of this great plan. There's a time and purpose for everything. Time specific. David referred to some of those things today in relationship to our age. The very time being designated in the past eternity before we ever were. 
He's determined those things. In the next chapter, he says, let me finish that verse. All things are beautiful. He's put it into our heart to understand it. But here's the problem. You can't. Have you had difficulty understanding how everything that you experience is beautiful? Yes? Well, he says this. Listen, when you go into the house of God, be quiet. Don't let your anger overtake you. Don't let your flesh offend God. And in between, he says, look, I recognize that everything is not beautiful. There is loneliness. There is death. There is fleeting popularity. There is envy. There is oppression. There is injustice in the halls of government. Don't be surprised at that. I will never forget when I was at the same time teaching the life of Christ and preaching out of Ecclesiastes, when I made this conclusion with the aid of the Holy Spirit, all six of those things happened to Jesus in Passion Week. False witnesses, fleeting popularity, triumphant Sunday, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, Friday, same people, crucify him. Oppression. He was bruised beyond recognition. Envy. The Jews delivered him up out of envy. Death. Loneliness. God, why have you forsaken me? Is the cross beautiful? It is. We glory in the cross. All those plans put into place by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit prior to the beginning of time. In relationship to the Holy Spirit, uh, we read this in 1 Peter 1. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I'm not going to be talking about that, that subject. be happy to, but I'm not going to be. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the preliminary sanctification of the Holy Spirit unto the obedience of the blood and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, The Holy Spirit was involved in the elective purposes of God. We are not talking about the basis of that. We are talking what the Holy Spirit did. Once God the Father made the choice, as in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the earth, based on one of three possibilities, once he has made the choice, it's the Holy Spirit who puts a circle around that name. And he pursues as the hand of heaven that person for salvation. That in a past eternity, a preliminary sanctification that evidences itself at the moment of your salvation. We'll come on that again when we 
study the Holy Spirit in you. This is all taking place before there is anything but God. And the Holy Spirit is involved in all of that. Have you thought about that before? It's an amazing concept of what was going on within the confines of the Holy Trinity in working out this plan, quote unquote, this great plan of salvation from which you and I have benefited. We are looking particularly at the working of the Holy Spirit in that. Preliminary sanctification. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed for us in the upper room discourse. I pray for those who will believe. It was the Holy Spirit who identified that number in preliminary sanctification. The Holy Spirit has done a great work. And we will be looking at that throughout the week with this goal in view. That not only do I appreciate and love the Father and address him in telling him that. And I appreciate and love the Lord Jesus Christ in redeeming me but that I also love and appreciate and direct that love and appreciation to the Holy Spirit who has been so active in our lives in a passive way. It's my desire that we be worshipers to a greater extent of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can we look forward to learning a little more about that? Let's do that together. And we'll enjoy it, I think. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for such a great plan. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the center of the cross that provides a way of salvation. Holy Spirit, we thank you for pursuing us and convicting us of sin and of righteousness, our failure, and of judgment to come and bringing about a new birth in our lives, and making us a new creation in Christ Jesus, guiding us day by day as children of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Holy Trinity, and we bow and worship you this day for being such a great God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.